Hi everyone, this is Takatoshi Shibayama, the host of the Future Design Podcast. I took a break from publishing episodes for three weeks. I apologize for listeners who have been expecting an episode during this time. I had to focus on my daytime job and that took me away from the podcast. But last week I met with an old friend from Jiu Jitsu on the mats and he told me he hasn't missed an episode and really enjoyed it. He mentioned that some of the other members of the gym are listening it too. Man, I gotta say, I had no idea, but it really motivated me to continue this podcast, so thanks to all you guys. And thanks again, Mr. R. You know who you are. I really think this is the beauty of jiu-jitsu. Everyone we practice with comes from different backgrounds, but we show up and put it all out in the mats. Doesn't matter who you are, but what you are. Hey guys, I'm back again. So for the first time listeners... This podcast looks to empower listeners with perspectives on how we can challenge the social norm and evolve with better understanding of philosophy, spirituality, and ethics. Empowered individuals can have much stronger voice and influence in bringing about revolutionary changes in the world, whether you're building businesses or technologies. My guests and I speak about social constructs that are commonly accepted in the world today that's not working anymore, and how to rebuild them with ethical values to create a better future. In this episode, we have Cordell France, the CEO of Seekar Technologies, a company that uses AI analyzing images like body scans, videos for emotions, temperature, and movement to detect medical conditions, sports analytics, or human life defense. We talk about how AI models should be built with ethical considerations as it can be a double-edged sword. It can enhance human productivity and longevity, but it can also do the opposite. I'm quite certain that the cat is already out of the hat. And what we hear is the positive use cases, but in the background, it is used for effective killing and surveillance over private lives in ways you can't imagine. We need to be aware that the technology is out there and not fall into the trap of being complacent and demand for ethical use of AI. Whether you are a user or building businesses and technologies with AI, we must uphold the standard of its deployment and not let it run us over. So without further ado, please enjoy this week's episode. Future Design Podcast. Welcome to the Future Design Podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be on. Great. It's my pleasure as well. And Cordell, you are the CEO of C-Car Technologies that are building AI systems. Right now, you're building uh, these technologies around the medical equipment. But before I go in, di- deep dive into the world of AI, because it's a really interesting topic, I picked this up uh, twice before, and I believe everybody has a different angle to this. So it'll be really great to understand who is Cordell France. Sure. Um, so I am uh, an engineer by training and by uh, discipline, primarily. Um, grew up on a farm in the United States, particularly in Idaho, and uh, actually raising potatoes and wheat. Um, and a lot of uh, what we did on there was uh, kind of actually led me to an uh, interest in AI and robotics, uh, particularly because on the farm, we had some uh, autonomous steering software that we enabled on our machines. And uh, that really kind of uh, seeing these giant machines steer themselves and keep themselves straight and act in an autonomous fashion. You know, as, as a child, that's kind of it's like something from sci-fi movies, right? It's, it's, it's something futuristic. And so that like that really kind of engraved me that this is something I want to go into and do. <clears throat> and uh, able my, my father, uh, thank goodness, was able to kind of help let me work on that stuff and troubleshoot and kind of uh, get my, my hands dirty in that regard. Um, so, uh, yeah, that kind of really catapulted my, um, my interest into AI and robotics. And I've always been uh, pretty proliferate in math, pretty good in math. Uh, and I always, it, math's such a beautiful thing, in my opinion. And uh, being able to use that in in combination with computer science and um, everything moving forward, started coding at uh, age 16 and uh, actually started trying to try to code my calculus homework. And that turned out to be a lot much harder feat than I anticipated it being. So, but it, it enabled me to get my feet dirty and, and learn uh, a few programming languages and then kind of uh, just uh, built on top of that from there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, kind of been, that uh, motivating factor throughout my whole life. Uh, I've been really, really always had a curiosity in pattern recognition and finding like finding a cause or an effect to a cause, right? Or, or, or a cause to an effect in a very, in very noisy data. So being able to really find meaning behind chaos 
and being able to, or it maybe there's no meaning behind the way certain events happen, but um, kind of really trying to make sense out of why certain things happen and, and really recognize a pattern or an equation to things um, kind of really ingrained that uh, I guess, I guess was leveraged from the fact that uh, I uh, excelled in math and then really had a tremendous uh, uh, interest in robotics and artificial intelligence moving forward. Yeah, that's a really interesting upbringing. You know, I tried coding before and took, you know, these online courses before and I was really rubbish at it. So I do admire people who are in this, in this world and, and, and coding and I'm in the world of crypto. So I should know a little bit more about these things, but uh, I'm more on the sales side. So completely different. You weren't dropped on your head quite as many times as a baby. I, I take it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I do recall falling off a slide when I was a kid, uh, but maybe that, that was probably one of the things uh, that got me a little bit more towards the, um, the technology side of things. But, um, uh, but you were talking about these uh, cause and effects, which is actually a really interesting Buddhist concept as well, because the world is chaotic. And if you don't keep your mind clear, you actually don't see the cause and effect. And it seems like it translates quite a lot into the world of programming as well, because I do remember trying to code things and I always get mistakes. And then I go back to it and was like, why did this work? And then, you know, re-examining this thing over and over um, these codes. So I do kind of see that a bit of a similarity there. And just to go back a little bit into, you know, your uh, farm and you saw these uh, autonomous vehicles running around, this this must have been like 20 plus years ago. So um, could you just, just out of my curiosity, I would love to know how these vehicles are actually moved uh, or handled or managed. Yeah, so no, it was, it was, uh, it was more than 20 years ago when I was first exposed to it. And uh, it's quite interesting because agriculture had self-steering back in like the late 90s, early 2000s, where consumers had access to it. It wasn't really like a research effort. And now we're finally seeing it into uh, like the consumer realm with autonomous vehicles on the road and everything. So it's interesting that it's kind of, it was, it, it, it's, you wouldn't think it would go that way. You think it'd be the other way around. Like we would have had it for a more of a consumer base before agriculture. But um, so that's, that's kind of been an interesting trend to watch. But um, so these 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 autonomous vehicles, these these tractors, these large uh, equipment that are pulling these massive plows, these massive rigs behind them to help uh, fertilize the field and till the field. Uh, they're controlled by a suite of electronics, and they've got a GPS sensor on the top of them. And originally, you had to go set up like a small uh, base station, is what we call it. Uh, and it was like a, a really, it's like a five foot tower that you have to go set up somewhere so that it had. GPS access. Um, now there's GPS, there's a lot more GPS satellites and it's a lot easier to <clears throat> get a GPS signal. So we don't have to go set that tower up. We can actually beam the signal directly to uh, the tractor and the implement. Um, but what's interesting is that is these vehicles are able to uh, maintain like tenths of an inch of inaccuracy going through the field. So you have, you have this, this field that, I mean, some of these passes that we're making are half mile, even three quarters of a mile long. They're huge fields and you're maintaining a tenth of an inch in accuracy all the way through these hills and valleys and crevices and everything and going around things. It's, it's really quite remarkable, um, especially with something that that's, it, it's that big and that heavy. Um, but it's really managed, everything's managed inside the cab. And so we have each, each tractor's got its own GPS and each tractor's got its own sensor suite. Um, and you can kind of tap into it with your phone if you want and see how, you know, the speed of, you know, like my, my, my father's got uh, an app on his phone in which he can see the speed at which everything's running and how accurate his GPS is, is ma being maintained and everything. Um, but there's a lot of troubleshooting going on, at least initially, uh, because it was such a newer technology. Um, and trying to make sure that it didn't veer off course. And, uh, you know, you have to make sure that when I was a, when I was a kid, I had to make sure that I didn't fall asleep at the wheel, right? Because you, if it's driving itself, you have to babysit. And, you know, uh, you know, when you're, when you're younger, you kind of have that, you don't have as much drive to stay awake and, uh, no caffeine, obviously. So, uh, you have to kind of, uh, make sure you're paying attention and that you don't, uh, you know, you, in some case something goes wrong, which things did go wrong. Uh, you're there to, to rectify and, and kind of fix things. So it's, it's really quite interesting. Mm -hmm. And from that, I'm sure I would have been really amazed by that technology because it's just really running by its own and with a very you know couple of you know several inches of of uh, inaccuracy i mean you know even back 20 plus years ago i mean that that's really amazing how inaccurate those technologies are and now we have these 
you know, ideas, concepts, and, you know, uh, companies experimenting on autonomous vehicles. Obviously, I understand the complexity of riding, you know, with various cars around, people around, all these, uh, what do you call it, these events that you wouldn't really uh, imagine usually happening. And then having to put down, down all that in code sounds like a really impossible um, thing to do. I mean, obviously, you have to gather data, but no one car drive is always going to be the same, right? So how do, how do you think that, you know, people are designing these autonomous vehicles? You know, what, what, what is the, you know, better question is, you know, what do they have in mind when they're actually creating these autonomous vehicles? So it takes it takes a lot of data in order to make these these vehicles work, right? Um, especially in the ways of consumer vehicles where um, you you're exactly right. No drive is the same. People have different driving habits. Some people are a little more aggressive. So being able to use that data to train these artificial intelligence models to operate, you know, you, they're basically, you have one model that is going to learn from everybody and try to accommodate everyone's driving habits. Um, and that's hard to do because if we think about like the way our brain works, I have the state of my mind is the sum of all of my experiences and the sum of all the data I've collected throughout my life. But not necessarily from you or my family or anyone else. Like I can learn from experiences from them, but you know, my data set is strictly personal to me. And you have <clears throat> a fleet of vehicles that, uh, you know, let's, let's take for example, Tesla, who has, you know, millions of vehicles on the road and they're able to gather data from all of these vehicles to help facilitate autonomous driving that all comes back, right? They have all these people's data that comes back and helps facilitate one brain so that there's, they can go update their software that contains the AI model, the AI brain um, that accommodates everyone's driving habits and can, can drive, uh, you know, it, it's the one model that has everyone's realm of thought, essentially. And so you know, that's quite interesting from a, a personal standpoint, because, you know, if we were able to do that as humans, you can imagine, you can imagine some pros and you can also imagine some cons to that. But uh, it's, 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 there's a lot of, uh, AI paves the potential for a lot of things that can be done with, um, in my opinion, uh, with with humans in general and the brain. And it's interesting to see if we might follow that trajectory where, you know, we can kind of, I'm able to learn from your experiences and you're able to upload your experiences and your data set essentially to a cloud where I can, I can use uh, that to benefit myself and vice versa. And we all have this kind of one hive mind um, that we're able to experience. So it'll be interesting to see if we kind of catapult in that direction later on mm, that's an interesting topic which i like to put a pin on um, and but uh now you're in this world of medical devices and ai which is a very important uh segment to get into obviously we don't want to have any margin of human error you want to have all those surgeries precise or diagnosis uh, precise and more and more of these AI should be getting into this space. So what got you into focusing on the medical side of things first? So the COVID-19 pandemic pandemic really in, was a huge enabler for uh, for Seeker and, and all of our technology. We originally started um, in a different industry. We had a very, very good image recognition, pattern recognition platform. Um, and we had a hard time kind of breaking in uh, to the medical field just because you're, you're exactly right. The consequences are so dire if you're wrong. So if you have an image classification algorithm that is trying to detect conditions of whether or not someone has cancer um, and they're wrong, either if they're wrong, if it's a false positive or false negative, those consequences are dire either way, right? You either have to send someone through chemo that doesn't need to go through it or somebody could potentially, it could be a fatal consequence for someone who may have lived um, if you don't actually, if it's a false, um, a false negative. So uh, and, 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 and those are pretty sobering once you consider those in light of a designer, of an engineer and, and trying to develop this AI. But, um, and so, you know, physicians and medical professionals are cautious and skeptical for a very good reason. And we're trying to maybe take a bit different of an angle with it. Uh, and this, the COVID-19 pandemic helped enable this in that we're trying to not be the last link in the chain. So we're trying to more of augment physicians' capabilities by giving them medical imaging products to help give them more information quickly instead of explicitly making the last call. So instead of saying, you know, this x-ray contains COVID-19 and pneumonia, 
you triage you you know triage them accordingly do what you want to do with them accordingly instead of doing something like that we actually take the angle where you know this this x-ray contains symptoms of COVID-19 and pneumonia or whatever and you know have a second opinion on it but it maybe doesn't need to have as much time spent on it by the radiology technician uh, because you know, we, the AI has done the pre-screening, the pre-processing. So you basically try to take a chunk of time and optimize it and compress it. Um, again, augment physicians' capabilities uh, instead of really trying to replace it and be that last link in the chain. And so taking that into light, a seeker was able to build, um, and it's actually a mobile app that uses a, a bunch of AI that is called COVID AI. And it is a it screens for seven different respiratory conditions in chest x-rays. So the radiology technician or the radiologist imports a, a chest x-ray um, or takes a picture of it. You can take a picture of it just with the camera. And then the AI goes through and screens for one of these seven conditions. And if it can't find anything, you know, it notifies the user. But this, uh, our goal with that was to help relieve demand on some of these physicians in the pandemic um, so that we could get treatment faster and kind of get more people through the door and really see people because they're, they're short staff and they had high demand <clears throat> from the get go. And, uh, it ended up working out pretty well. Uh, we were able to, um, you know, get a lot of, of, of publicity in that regard and get a lot of users to, and, and honestly help uh, a lot of physicians from, from what we can tell. We donated that product, um, entirely for the effort. So <clears throat> we didn't make any money, didn't intend to make any money. Uh, just really tried, wanted to make a staple that AI designed the right way and used in the right setting can be useful for medicine, right? And we can gain trust from physicians and medical professionals um, if you just go about it the right way and have the right rigor. Mm -hmm. Right. And obviously you have tons of data sets all over the world for this, right? So I guess you go about buying these data sets or maybe they're free and then you can start building um, your, your systems behind this. Yeah, it's uh, so we had so we were able to acquire some free data sets online, and then we also acquired our own data on top of that. Um, so in order to like eliminate bias from an AI system, uh, we don't ever take the data sets that we download as as gospel truth that they say what they are, just because in the effect that they contain an overwhelming amount of pneumonia images instead of uh, COVID nineteen images, and we they say that they're half and half you know, that can really bias the system. Um, just like if, you know, as humans, if we take, you know, we have one angle of thought on things, it can really influence our thinking um, later on down the road. But so, uh, yeah, we, we acquired our own data set on top of that in order to kind of augment the full capability of the model. And it was interesting because we, we, we originally built one model uh, that just looked for everything, right? And then it, it wasn't very accurate. But we ended up looking into the human brain a little bit and kind of how it triages things. So as light enters your, your, your eyes and your retina and how your brain actually starts to recognize different patterns and images. So like if I'm looking at if I'm trying to find my car in a parking lot, my brain goes through and it doesn't just try to find my car. It goes, OK, where's am I looking at a parking lot? Yes, I'm looking at a parking lot. Am I looking at a set of cars? Yes. And then I'm looking at, am I looking at a car? Okay, I'm looking at one car. Is this my car? So it kind of triages things in this hierarchical fashion um, in order to actually find your car instead of just looking for a needle in the haystack. And that's what we ended up doing with our model is that we basically said, all right, where's the x-ray? Find the x-ray, take out everything else in the image, all the, all the text, all, of, you know, all the um, information we don't need. Now find the x-ray. Okay, we found the x-ray find the lungs. Okay, now we found the lungs and the sternum. Now segregate those two apart and look directly at those two. Um, and, and so there's, there's this hierarchical fashion of, of models that we were able to kind of build in this cascade manner that we tried to uh, leverage from the design of the human brain um, in that regard. And it was way more successful than just building one model, uh, which is really quite interesting in the direction of, of how much right how much by default the design of ai is uh is influenced by the design of the human brain it just goes to show you like how how well our brain was designed to begin with through you know what which whether it's evolution or religion or religion purposes however you believe we came about how great the mind of a person really is designed yeah i mean it's something that i feel like it's very difficult to program. I think there's been, you know, attempts, you know, from, you know, probably the late 60s trying to not argument, but 
replace human beings by creating these conscious AIs. And I feel like this is something that, you know, a lot of people say it's going to be, you know, 50 years, you know, 70 years down the line. It's not something that we just really do right now. And now we're just really focused on specific AI. Like what you're talking about is like, look at the lungs, find the same, you know, patterns and try to find uh, the irregularities around it and then that's that's the you know symptoms or you know things like that where you're very very focused on small things and it seems like it's it's going to be a major jump from going from this specific ai into general ai where you just completely replicate the whole human mind and it must take a lot of lot of steps in order to get there i mean what do you think is is necessary to even make that jump right now we're we're in uh all the applications address narrow problems, right? Where they address very shallow problems. Um, so we're a long way from Terminator, right? Or a long way from iRobot, something that can really act and think on its own. The steps I think that are needed to get there is are um, the first one of them is we need to be able to blend multiple capabilities together. And I'm not necessarily saying we should get there, but these are the steps I think that would take to get there. But uh, we need to be able to blend multiple artificial intelligence models together and make them be able to cooperate with um, hardware very well. I think that we actually are probably, we have better progress in software and the AI part than we do with hardware um, because mechanics are pretty, mechanical uh, engineering is difficult to get to respond in the way that a human does just because we're so resilient. Um, so to replicate human uh, function and behavior as far as motor skills go, I think that uh, we probably have a, a bigger limit on hardware and, and engineering in that regard. As far as the psychology goes for actually being able to replicate something, you know, like consciousness later on, that's, uh, that, that's, a, that's a pretty dicey scenario because there's a lot of things that can go wrong, um, especially, you, you know, that human AI symbiosis, a human computer symbiosis. Uh, we, we've got a long ways to go. Um, there's, there's an interesting, I mean, our, our, the way our body's built kind of provides a good vehicle to be able to interface with machines and that our neural system is electrical in some sense. So, you know, it kind of being able to make sense of those electrical signals and adapt to, uh, machines is, you know, directly with a direct mechanical integration, uh, is, is possible, obviously. And we are seeing companies do it today. But I, I think that we need to focus um, really on our algorithms at, at a fundamental level because we see this today in uh, systems like facial recognition where they wrongly convict one, one uh, group of people over another group of people or they wrongly identify uh, certain, certain things over other certain things. And this has to, go, or has to do with um, bias in the data sets. So again, like we're humans are all incorporated with our own biases by default growing up, just because we're, we're prone to thinking in the ways and the terms we can categorize with our own experiences and the way we're building AI is in a very similar manner. So we really need to focus on the data that we're training this AI on so that when we get to the level of being able to replicate levels such as human consciousness and, um, you know, these higher level human functions that we don't have, that they're successful and they're not, we don't have bias in the data and we don't have bias in the way it thinks and reacts and it's not catastrophic really um, in, in, in nature. Hmm. Yeah, that's, in, yeah, yeah, totally. I totally agree. Well, what, what, something that kind of popped into my head with one while I was listening to you is that, you know, our brains are actually, you know, obviously, you know, it's a lot more complicated than we actually even think ourselves, right? We have our conscious mind, we have our subconscious mind, we have our unconscious mind, and a lot of these three minds are actually working together to perform human activity. And a lot of the memories and the experiences that we had, we don't retain all of it, but they're actually stored in our subconscious. And we sometimes it just pops into our mind or while we're dreaming, we kind of create this dream world where a lot of the things that were hidden in, inside our subconscious start to come out. Or I had a lot of conversations on this episode with uh, hypnotists. So they talk about, you know, accessing that subconscious to understand why certain things are actually coming up while even the conscious mind doesn't even understand it. Or, you know, I had conversations with people uh, who teaches or provides um, psychedelic treatments as well. And they're talking a lot about the subconscious mind. I mean, it's, it's not really something that I feel like, you know, you can have a program where you can create these three levels of minds and then, you know, make them work 
like human minds do. It, it just it seems like it's a very extremely difficult task where if you have an AI mind, it seems like it's going to be having one mind, right? Where all the data is still stored there. Access is super easy, but it's not as spontaneous as human minds. Yes, I 100% agree. There's a beauty in the architecture of the human mind that I don't, I don't think we are really meant to uncover and we're really meant to understand. And by extension of that, I don't think that we can fully replicate a human mind. I mean, it's, it's, it's so incredibly complex and so well designed that, you know, being able to write lines of code that can replicate it entirely, I think is, 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 is pretty, it's pretty unlikely. And if it is likely, it's not going to happen for a long time. I think there's parts that we can emulate. <clears throat> like, for example, you know, uh, we're, we're trying to emulate part of vision, the vision system. And that's a very, that's one very small thing that's not even taking into consideration consciousness or previous experiences. That's just being able to recognize objects. And so it's a very, 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 very small part of the way the brain functions. And, you know, some of these computers are huge and <laughs> we have billions of times the capability of that packed into, you know, eight to 10 pound mass that sits in our head, which is just so incredible, you know? And I think uh, you bring up an interesting point where we're kind of designing AI to, uh, in general, be one model. And the brain has kind of three different, three different, you said the, the subconscious, the consciousness, and then there was one other thing that you mentioned. The unconscious. The unconscious. Yeah. So like, how do you design that in software? to, you know, to try to simulate something, something similar. And, uh, that's quite interesting. You know, I, I was reading a paper a few weeks ago in which, um, uh, the author was talking about if, if AI systems got to the point where we could, you know, they were, they were higher functional and they could actually perform more, uh, tasks that a human could, that they would have to sleep. They, they would have to have a period where, they're not really turned off, but they're, they are in a, a sleepful state, a restful state so that they can make sense of all the data they've acquired throughout the day. Right. And they can adjust their data sets, adjust their, I'm going to quote air quotes, consciousness accordingly. Right. Even though it's not nothing like a human's consciousness, but they, they need to have that period where they can reset, recategorize and kind of filter through all their experiences throughout the day. And <clears throat> it's interesting that, you know, uh, I've never thought of sleep in that regard. Like when I go to sleep every night, it's, you know, I'm just, it's, it's, you're tired or whatever, but being able to make sense of what you learn throughout the day and your, the fact that your mind automatically does that and it shuts certain parts off and turns other parts on is such a beautiful thing. It's, it's really, it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating too. And I had another episode about lucid dreaming where you can actually wake yourself during your sleep and then access your subconscious mind and then deal with like trauma or it can even be fun things like we were talking about you know flying you know using our imagination and 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 kind of designing it in your in your in your sleep and in your dreams and then acting out in that certain way so you know i i think this is like a really you know exciting topic to go like really understand the human mind and it just goes beyond like technology it's it's really the whole consciousness topic that you know it's something that you know in the, in the new world or the next generation of the world this is something that to be really um interesting to go after and research about and you know i think that's you know just you know, away from the whole AI kind of things is that, um, you know, our, you know, kind of human, human life form, it was really designed very magically in that sense. It's, it's almost like a, you know, miraculous kind of creature, right? In a way that we are not always, always peaceful. You know, we act in a very malicious way. We can act in a very generous way. You know, we, we try to create, create peace, but yet we still can't do it. I mean, it's, it's a very imbalanced mind and, you know, having robots to be able to do that, it doesn't seem like it's just possible because they're going to be extremely logical about these things. But anyway, we need to talk about that kind of topic forever. But uh, in a sense of like, you know, we're, we're talking about AI and specific things. And you mentioned about people losing jobs and et cetera. Um, what I also think about certain existential threats about having AI in a world is that I feel like we're going to rely on it so much that we can't really think for ourselves anymore. 
you know so in the crypto world that i live in there's this concept that where platforms being created called decentralized finance where you don't need regulations you don't need human biases to tell you who gets along who doesn't everything's done by code where everybody has equal access and you can trust it because it, there's no human intervention in it whatsoever and then i think the, a lot of the younger generations are really getting excited about it because of those particular reasons you know it's fair it's you really know what you're getting there's nothing behind closed doors but at the same time the dependency on technology is also something that i actually worry about so like let's say all these ais started creating you know policies this is a good policy for you know creating peace or you know um, reducing famine or all these things don't you think we'll get too reliant on technology that we can't we can't live without it anymore just like our smartphones we can't live without our smartphones anymore right so you know that that's kind of what i worry is that can, can we maintain our human humanity in a sense that you know we are um you know in a way sovereign in ourselves and not too reliant on what you know technology has created yes i it's just because we can do something doesn't necessarily mean we should. So like by there's, you know, if we can, if we have the capability later on down the road to like simulate human consciousness and we continue to try to replicate human behavior and, and human capabilities through, uh, and better engineering and artificial intelligence, then that, that doesn't necessarily mean that we should, because at that point you kind of take the humanity out of it, right? Like why, why would we try to replicate ourselves in a machine form? Um, you know, you, you might want to try to, I, I agree with the fact that we want to try to maybe replicate some capabilities in the sense of maybe a, a humanoid form or to have some, you know, some characteristics of a human in order to accomplish certain tasks. So <clears throat> again, I don't, I don't think that we should develop it towards the, uh, towards the idea of eliminating jobs, but augmenting humans capabilities. So <clears throat> where there are instances where human safety could be violated or human safety um, is of a concern or uh, it might be safer just there's, there's a risk assessment that suggests that you know it's maybe too uh, too risky to send a human in that's I think where AI can come in handy right um, and again why would you if you develop that to be emulate a human then you essentially are sending you're just replicating the problem you're sending another something that you view as human into a risky situation which kind of you know, violates the, our humanitarian uh, sense, right? And so, it, I don't, I don't think that we should really replicate uh, humans to uh, a full degree because, I mean, yeah, we, we would take the humanity out of it, and and it would, it would violate, uh, I think, partially our sovereign rights, and it would violate kind of how we interact as humans. Um, uh, so, but on the thread of, of if we become too dependent on technology, it, it is kind of a scary thing because. I even notice, like e each generation I talk to, like my grandfather and my father, I learn always learn a lot when I talk to them, um, or grandparents and parents in general. But you notice, like they they always give the quote, "Back in my day, it was like this. Back in my day, I didn't, you know." And it's part of that. I always notice that any back in my day conversation is always like directly impacted by technology. So technology always brings that that conversation up, and it's like, yeah, they they had way less technology back in that day, and. To be honest, if I had to go back and try to navigate my way through New York City without my GPS or without my phone, right? Like I, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. And so if, and that's a very small, that's one task out of hundreds that we rely on our phones on throughout the day. So if, if it's interesting, like if we were totally to, um, you know, abolish technology or something happened where we, uh, you know, all power was cut out, how, how would we function as a society? And you know, you'd have to, there's, you would have to, it's interesting because you could, you kind of have to like, my one way I've thought about helping solve this is like if we built society so that it's really uh, dependent on things that are engraved on our human nature by, by default, right? But technology kind of violates all human nature by default, right? It's basically the antithesis of nature. So in order to make progress in technology, we need to find a way to not make uh, make anti progress in in maintaining our sovereign rights and maintaining our humanity. So there's this like there's a yin and yang that I hope is able to be established and doesn't just become explicitly a yin or explicitly a yang, right? Uh, so 
it's it's an interesting problem and i i hope that we can kind of try to find a a, a hybrid way to go about it mm. yeah one of the things that i do regret not learning about is uh being able to fix a car i i think i've seen like movies with and you know and back in the day where you know these people would open up the bonnet of the car go in there fix it ah oh, you know the, the the this thing is the screws off or the 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 conveyor belt is off or something like that and and i look i pop up the car and, and look inside i have absolutely no clue what's going on there right so in a way that we have actually kind of released this information about you know, machines in that, in that sense. Well, I'm just talking about a car in specific here that because there are companies that do that for us, or even if you look at factories nowadays, obviously everybody knows there's no people in there, right? All robotics is taking care of everything. So we actually lose that capability to be able to interact with certain things. And I feel like as we progress using AI or whatever it is, you know, there's going to be a lot less of us that we actually lose or not in terms of knowledge that we can't really get back anymore. You know, one of the examples of like, you know, human evolution is that when, when we had absolutely nothing, we were cavemen, we were able to kind of see the sky, smell this, you know, the air, look at the way, you know, birds are chirping or whatever it is. And we actually knew what, what kind of weather it's going to be, or we'd be walking down the forest. We knew exactly what not to eat, what to eat, all these things. And we were completely, you know, ingrained with nature and we're completely now complete the you know polar opposite we don't even know what what the heck we need to we need an app to scan what a plant is and tell us what exactly <laughs> that is right so yeah. so so i feel like you know we're losing a lot of knowledge and just kind of you know hoping that technology will replace that for us and we're doing more and more of that as we kind of add more technologies into our life. I mean, you know, I, I just feel like that's the, that's the worry is like, you know, the, there's, there's a, t there will be a time where we can't just do anything. We're just sitting on floating chairs, cruising through and everything's just done for us. Right. And that's kind of like the dystopian kind of future that I do want to avoid for humankind. Yeah, it's, I, I definitely agree. There, there should be like there might should there should be like a, a mandatory class you have to take is you know each year is in like grade school and in, in high school in which you have like i don't know if we call it a survivability course but like something that you like a human a human nature course where we have to go back and not use any technology but just basically be able to prove that we can have basic survival capabilities or basic you know uh, communication capabilities without any technology being used because yeah, I mean, we, we will lose it, right? And we slowly are. And it's like AI right now is getting a lot of, of uh, publicity for being able to, because it's being able to you know replicate certain aspects of what the human does. But if you look back through time, like start with the wheel. We, we the, the wheel was invented to try to augment capabil human capabilities and moving faster, right? And then that eventually, well, it probably started with the horse, right? And then the wheel. And so basically vehicles were an extension, uh, you know, an AI in some regard and being able to, uh, or technological advancement and being able to make us move faster. And then we move forward, you know, you can look at the speaker, right? It's a, it's a replication of the human ear or a, uh, sorry, a microphone is a replication of the human ear speakers are a replication of human voice in some degree. And so we have all these different devices and all these different products throughout time that have like tried to rep replicate different aspects of human nature. And it's just like, are we, are we going to continue inevitably until the point where we just replicate ourselves entirely through machines or are we going to stop at some point and so we're up and say okay we have the capability to do this but that doesn't mean we should like we you know maybe we should just maintain our humanity and stop here uh it's it's kind of a i don't know it's an interesting problem that needs to be solved right it needs to it needs to be maybe maybe it's not addressed by our generation but it should be addressed starting with our generation so that that mentality is carried throughout time to the point where when it does become uh when we do have the capability to do such things you know we've at least had those conversations and it's not a, a crisis moment Hmm. Yeah, I have two kids who are seven and four, and they can't live without technology, right? They're so used to their, you know, uh, their YouTubes, they can't get bored. 
they don't want to be bored. I remember well, back in my time, I used to yeah. you know, daydream, right? <laughs> I used to daydream and think about like my future self and what I'm going to be doing and this and that. But if they don't have, if these kids don't have time to be bored, you know, what can they actually, you know, create? You know, what kind of creativity can they have? You know, now we're, you know, all the schools are thinking, oh, we have to teach kids coding. We have to, you know, make them creative and all these like ideas around like what the future is going to be and trying to implement all these type of things uh, so that they can survive in the future. But at the same time, I feel like you have to, as you say, you have to bring them back to a human level and then experience what a human is supposed to be without technology. And, and that's really important to me. And then I want to go back to where I pinned it with the conversation with you is that, you know, now we're, you know, a lot of people are talking about singularity, you know, being one with the computers and augmenting us in everyday lives. And, and, and that was something that you thought, you know, would happen in the future. I mean, so how is, how does that kind of, you know, mesh with the concepts that we've been talking about? <clears throat> so, uh, the singularity to me is really, uh, it's, when we get to that point, we'll be like, we'll be, we'll have some significant capabilities in replicating consciousness in some, in some degree. And we, you, you, you basically approach this level of humanity where everyone has the same capabilities. Everyone, you know, might look the same, right? Like if, if, if we can increase one human's capability to run at hundred meters per second, then why wouldn't we increase everyone's capabilities to do that? Right. And so we just have this, this, uh, this copy and pasted humanity right this copy and pasted form of humanity where everyone uh thinks the same acts the same has one hive mind um you know if if you if you we get to the point where you can interface your consciousness and your thoughts with um the cloud or with internet capabilities and everything you think about is just synchronized to the 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 cloud right and everyone else can leverage from your expertise or the way you think or the experience you just had that becomes pretty concerning because uh, you know, you can imagine how drastic that could be if the control of that was under a very uh, a bad actor or a very bad power, right? The, whoever owns that that server that, can, that has everyone's thoughts synchronized, right? Everyone's the storage of everyone's thoughts, and I mean, you can basically control people. You can control motor motor abilities, motor skills, um, and so that's that's a pretty that's a pretty scary scenario, and. I think like that conversation that needs to start before that conversation needs to start before that happens. It shouldn't start when we have the capability. It should start now and say, okay, you know, we're making progress towards this, you know, thing that could potentially end humanity as we know it. Uh, let's put some, you know, some principles into or some uh, um, restrictions into play that can maybe limit how bad that can be and really limit the how the, the the bad potential that can come out of it to try to influence that trajectory to be very good and again i think that goes back to maybe not trying to replicate anything everything that a human can do and maintaining our humanity um and i mean right now some of the existential threats i mean maybe not existential threats uh today but the ways ai has the potential to drastically impact humanity today i don't think is in the form of Terminator and iRobot, I think it's more of in the form like uh, the stock market, right? Like um, the flash crash a few years ago um, where the computers crashed the stock market for a, a brief few minutes, right? And then it, and then it came back up. Uh, those are the types of things like that I'm concerned about where a rogue AI stock market trading algorithm allocates, it sells or liquidates everyone, everyone's portfolios and decides to put it into a rogue bank account, right? And everyone wakes up and has no more money in their bank account. It's like, well, that's that's probably pretty possible today. Or someone's Teslas all get hacked. Everyone's Teslas get hacked and they decide to drive it off the East Coast. And you, there's nothing you can do to control your car. Like those are the types of things that those would be pretty bad if they happen. And AI probably has the capability to do, you know, in the near future, like very near future. Um, so limiting, putting some ethics into play and putting some principles into the play that can limit those types of scenarios, I think could, um, you know, catapult or cascade up later on in time where when we do have some more sobering conversations about the singularity, it's uh, we, we've got some some um, actions in play that can kind of limit how bad that can actually be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I did have this conversation with uh, one of the guests that we had named Peter Voss, who was also creating like these AI chatbots. And we were talking about, are there any, you know, who actually sets these standards of ethics 
for AI anyway. I mean, yeah, you can find you know people that want to talk about it and form a committee, you know, lay down the regulations around it. But ultimately, you know, they're not they're not voted by people. They're not politicians. They're not. I don't think even politicians be should be doing it either. But you know, it's just hard to find think of like who is the right person to think about. There's no such thing as like a high level ethical person in this world that everybody knows. Right? I mean, and it's always going to be biased in some way. So that that's where I I, I kind of you know kind of a little bit stumble upon is like how, how do we even make this AI you know even better and better but still you know allow us to to keep our your ethical values and keep that standard high as possible because you know with all things technology for these days I mean a lot of things do turn into you know uh, you know kind of by by you know polar kind of things like social media uh, was supposed to connect people but also created you know propaganda and misinformation all these things and you know if I was Mark Zuckerberg you know in the beginning he probably didn't even think about this right he wasn't supposed to be like a a a uh, you know a printing press or something that had to think about what kind of content should be on Facebook I mean it was not his job to think about it it's still probably not his job but that's that's what he fell into right for creating so I think in terms of AI as well, is like we are creating this. Every, everybody's excited, advancing these things, but there's no, you know, every step of the way, I, I always feel like there's needs to be like checkpoints. Right. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. What's right now, there's significant AI investment and significant AI focus by some big players in the market like Google, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, etc. And Cryptocurrency is really kind of uh, lever- really painted a good picture in my in, in my opinion for being able to decentralize things and being able to decentralize finance and people are accepting of it. People are 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 on board and they they love it and I think that's important because it's 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 taking power away from uh, you know a few a concentrated few players and distributing that amount or around to everybody or you know at least a larger number of smaller players in which it limits the ability of bad actors making a big, a big impact. Now, if we can do the same thing with AI, and I don't think any of these companies have any malicious intent right now, but if you look forward into the future and AI is concentrated and one person or a few big global entities control all of artificial intelligence, that could be pretty bad. And so it would be good to follow a blockchain approach, right? A decentralized crypto approach where uh, AI is in some degree, and I'm not exactly sure right what the right way would be to go about it but it's in some way decentralized so that it limits the potential of one player to make to to ruin it for everybody it limits the potential of one bad actor to compromise the entire system so uh, there's a lot of interesting things with crypto that are going on that i think will uh that should influence the way other things are developed in the future and ai is definitely one of them um try to put more democracy into it and democratize because uh, if you democratize AI in the future, that is tantamount to democratizing power and democratizing data and democratizing freedom. Um, because, uh, again, alluding back to um, some of the like uh, the rogue facial recognition systems, if if we're allowing algorithms to make these decisions, that takes humanity out of these decisions that probably should have humanity involved for sure, right? Um, and if you can imagine that on a larger scale... You definitely don't want uh, you definitely don't want that power in the in the hands of a select few people. You want that distributed to uh, you know several several people, several AI agents, right? Um, so you democratize power in some regard. So I really hope that this trend with crypto continues in several different industries. Yeah, and then going forward, I mean, how would you like to run CCAR in that in that aspect then? So we have a, a focus on on ethical and explainable AI and um, and, and and mobile AI. So those are the three principles that we try to that we build all of our products on. So we we have a, a very strict focus on ethics and making sure that our AI is ethical. And and that what I mean by that is that our we we try to avoid situations like facial recognition right now, where um, there's as much bias eliminated from the data set as possible, and we have. Domain, domain experts come in and review our data sets and <clears throat> help us acquire more data, make sure they're balanced, biases is, 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 is rid from the system as much as possible. And we also have people come in from several different disciplines and angles to try to give a different look at the data and how it can potentially hurt or hinder people. 
another thing we do in regards to ethics is we try to uh, make sure that if we work on a product, should should the problem be solved by AI? Should we allow this system that um, is inherently black box by nature uh, right now, at least, to solve this problem? You know, what are the consequences of this model being wrong, and evaluate how that might affect somebody's life, uh, and or if it's relatively relatively simple, like. Um, you know, the consequences of an AI model being wrong on social media by tagging somebody inappropriately uh, or tagging the wrong person in a photo is way less severe than AI being used. The consequences of someone tagging, uh, being mistagged in a photo by AI is way less severe than uh, the consequences of artificial intelligence being wrong in medicine or defense or something like that. And so making sure that those data sets are, are pure and rid of, bias, rid of bias as much as possible is important. Um, another thing that we're doing that's, I think, per, that's particular to Seeker is uh, uh, explainability. So trying to make sure that we can explain these AI models appropriately. One way to gain trust in the way AI can work and make, gain trust in its capabilities in other domains where people are very skeptical is making sure that we can explain, AI can explain itself just as a human can. So in the example that I gave where we developed that, uh, that x-ray record or that, that medical recognition <clears throat> software for x-rays, uh, we were able to actually explain how the algorithm got to its, to got to its resolution. So the engineer on our end got uh, a, a feedback report about exactly how the algorithm behaved. And then the physician gets a report saying, this is, these are the things that I identified that make me think that there's COVID-19 within this checks x-ray. Um, and so that's very important because you add some level of humanity back in by being able to say, here's what I believe, am I wrong or am I right? Or take this with a grain of salt and saying, instead of saying, here's all this data, I made a decision. Don't worry about how I made the decision, but I made the decision. Um, and that's, that's very important because again, that allows us to develop trust with these art, with, uh, some critics and some skeptics within the industry, allows them to have access to the capabilities that are, are, have massive potential with AI. Um, but also adds uh, some really some human rights. I feel like if we're going to allow AI to be such a big part of our lives, we need to understand what's going on, why the decision is being made in the way it is, and, and why things are happening. Um, if we're going to have algorithms in, in tech be such a huge part of our life. Mm, yeah, I totally agree. Now, well, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed our conversation. And maybe we can do a follow up in like a year's time and see where you're at, you know, how this world of AI is being created. We'll probably have a lot more information by then as well. So th again, thank you so much for your time, uh, Cordell. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, it's uh, yeah, and I'm a big fan of your show. So I, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you had enjoyed or disliked the show, please let me know in the comment section. I can only improve or add value to you through your voices. If there are any topics that you'd like me to pick up, please let me know in the comment section as well. I'd love to start chatting with you. And if you'd like to continue listening to the show, please subscribe. Thank you.